Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you want to partner with us by giving into this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our Oklahoma City campus pastor, Oscar Ortiz. What's going on, Victory Church? How's everybody doing today? Before we get started, let me ask you this question, because this is what we'll be talking about today. How can we make sure that our faith is authentic? How can we make sure that our faith is authentic? Before we dive into what we'll be talking about for today. I want to welcome our Edmond campus. I want to welcome everyone watching online. Pastor John is in Ohio preaching, and he'll be back next week. Can we honor our lead pastor? And just for this amazing <laughs> series of messages that we are calling uh, Uncommon Kingdom, and we're going to dive in today into trying to figure out what that means. And one of the reasons why I always love to greet our online audience is because last week, for example, I was at a conference in Dallas and I was outside of the church and, and th this couple approached me and said, Pastor Oscar, Pastor Oscar. And, you know, I did my best to do the face of, yeah, I know you, but I didn't. <laughs> and I was just thinking, I was like, man, it's happening. What people told me would happen when you get older. It's happening right now. These people are coming. They're probably relatives, and I have. I've, I feels like I've never met them. And and you just gotta do the hey man, you know, <laughs> hey what's up girl. <laughs> and but no, it was, I've, that was the first time I was meeting him. But it was it was a couple that join us every Sunday and watch online with us. Even though they're, they live in Dallas, they join us every Sunday. So I want to just give a big shout out uh, to my friends, to Linda uh, uh, and to her husband today that I can remember his name. Um, <clears throat> so it's happening again. Yes. Thank you for being with us. Hope to see you again sometime uh, soon. Um, this past week, I, I had the opportunity to spend a couple of days in Mexico. I was visiting my dad, who is, who is ill. And one of the good things about going to Mexico is Mexican food. Um, I had great... I mean, I haven't had, like, authentic Mexican food in a while. And I was, so I was super excited. I had authentic um, Mexican breakfast... And we actually stopped by like this corner place, street tacos. There was no building. It was just like four posts with some type of made-up covering and, and people going at it in the corner chopping this meat. And it was just amazing. One of the questions that I'm often asked as a, now as an Oklahoma City native is this, is what is your favorite Mexican restaurant? which is an extremely complicated question. 
to me in my mind because I have an option. Do I give you the 30-minute version of, you know, your version of Mexican food is different from my version of Mexican food? Or do I just give you the answer that I give everybody else and try to avoid the 30-minute conversation and just say, uh, Ted's? <laughs> End it right there. Just, just Ted's. Awesome. Yeah, I've been there before. Awesome. When in my heart of hearts, or should I say my stomach of stomachs, I know that Tets is not Mexican food. It's Tex-Mex. And I know some of you guys just got offended. Um, and there's a difference between authentic Mexican food and Tex-Mex. I mean, Tex, don't get me wrong. Texas, Tex-Mex has a lot of great dishes and foods. But the difference is that Tex-Mex is modified recipes and spices in order to make, how do I say this politically correct, um, gringos eat it. Is that, is that bad? Did I? Is that bad? I didn't say gringos, but someone at the ninth texted me. He was like, you were talking about us gringos, right? I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> And it was modern. And let's, don't get me wrong, it's good, it's good, but I, I just can't call it Mexican. For example, when people say, what's, what's Mexican food? It's, it depends on what state you're in in Mexico. Because it, 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 dif it differs from, from food. For example, in northern states, flour tortillas are very common. In southern states, they get offended if you ask for a flour tortilla. They only eat corn. And it's not store-bought corn. It's corn that, like, you have, like, the tias and the abuelitas back there, you know, just making grandmas and aunts. I'm sorry. And they're making the tortillas. And it's straight up. It's, it's, it's authentic. And, and so as I was processing and getting ready for this, for this Sunday, I just began to sort of recognize at times, at, at least me, this is me, that sometimes as it relates to the Bible or even... Hebraic culture, the Bible, the biblical stories, the culture of the story of the Bible in this span of, you know, 1,500 years. As when I read it, sometimes I wonder, even if growing up, sometimes my theology was a little Tex-Mex. It was, it was good. It, it, was, it was close. It was, it was really good. I mean, really, I, I'm pro I could have probably ended up in heaven anyway. Uh, but I got to miss out on certain authentic, real things that the Bible is not afraid to talk about. And, and, and that just led me to believe, as I look at the, the state of the church and people leaving their faith more and more than ever before, I just tend to wonder if maybe they too were fed a Tex-Mex theology. Uh, something that sounds good and, man, people get a lot of clapping, you know, that even that Tex-Mex theology has made its way into a lot of our worship songs that make people feel good but have very little to do with the authentic saving grace and authentic gospel. So I want to talk to you today about what is authentic faith and how do we find out what authentic faith is. So I'm going to give you three simple thoughts. The first one, in order for us to find authentic faith, we must let religion die. 
Number two, we must let Jesus reconstruct our faith. And number three, we must let our faith strengthen others. That's it. That's my message. If you don't know Jesus, come forward. No. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you use broken vessels to share your unbroken truth. And I just pray that, that we're open to, to what your word wants to say. In spite of the filters of what culture wants to feed us. Maybe, may we be open only to what you want to say to, to us today. Through your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. So since we're talking about food, I'm going to read to you a scripture that just happens right after Jesus and the disciples had their last dinner. And it was not Mexican. It was Jewish. And it happens in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. And it just simply a story after the last supper. And it says this, Jesus speaking to the disciples then begins to address Peter by himself or just individually. And he calls him. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you men like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your, your brothers. I want to talk to you today about reconstructing my faith. Reconstructing my faith. Now, this verse is somewhat a, very, a little interesting to me because when Jesus calls Peter Simon, I wonder if Jesus forgot that he had changed Peter's name. I mean, John tells us that in chapter one that Jesus had changed Peter's name. He says, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Then verse 42 says, um, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, or Jonah, depending on your translation. You shall be called Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for, for Peter, which is translated Peter. And he was called Petros, which in the Greek is, is Peter. So Jesus changed his name to Peter when he met him. But he calls him Simon twice, which in, in biblical literature, you understand that it's, a, it's a more of a stern warning for, for you to hear your name twice. Remember, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, at the cross, he says, my God, my God. It, when he repeats those things twice, it means pay attention to what I'm about to say. It's a gentle yet stern warning. And according to To the Bible, as we dive into this first thought, Jesus had called him Simon. And our first thought is simply this. We must let religion fail. If we want to find out what authentic faith is, we must separate religion from faith. And in this story... We know that Simon, at least four times in the New Testament, is called Simon the Zealot. And the Zealots were a group of Jewish people that were very zealous for religion. They wanted to overthrow the Roman government 
by political human means. They were, they were very adamant about throwing the Roman leadership by, by, by war, by whatever means necessary. So when Jesus calls him the name that he had before he was following Jesus, in a sense was to let him know, Peter or Simon, you've gone backwards on your faith. These three and a half years that I've spent with you trying to teach you what the uncommon kingdom looks like, you seem to be going backwards on your faith. And we remember that religion is man's attempt to reach God while Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. But Jesus did not come to start a religion, a movement, or a political affiliation. He came to establish his kingdom on earth. That's why he came. But Jesus knew that Simon's expectations were about to be disappointed because the kingdom that Jesus had come to establish was not the political kingdom that Simon had wished for. Simon's religion was about to fail him. Jesus was in essence telling Simon, Simon, I did not come to save you from the Romans. Did Jesus have the power to save him from the Romans? Absolutely. But that was not his purpose. Simon, I did not come to save you from the Romans. I came to save you from you. Simon. And every Christ follower here we should ask ourselves this question. Am I being religious so that I can feel good about my morals? Or am I seeking his kingdom that makes me dangerous to a culture that's daily rejecting Jesus? Luke 22, 31 says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you men like wheat. The, the word sift in the Greek is the word siniazo, which means to shake to agitate inwardly in order to try one's faith to the verge to overthrow. And the picture of this sifting is, is the cleaves of, of wheat being picked up, the sheaves of wheat be, being picked up and being shaken so that all the chaff can go away and only the true grain remains in the threshing floor. I wonder if sometimes we forget that It is good that our faith gets shaken every once in a while. Because when our faith gets shaken, it's a wind of the Holy Spirit that can blow away all the religion so that all that remains is the only thing that feeds us in our relationship with God. But maybe our faith is shaken also so that, so that we can see if we will remain faithful even when our expectations of Jesus won't be met. It's okay for our religion to fail so that our faithfulness to God remains. If our faithfulness to God fails because there were unmet expectations, maybe our faith wasn't in Jesus to begin with. Maybe our faith was on a human system, on imperfect Christians, or on imperfect church. And when those didn't meet my expectations, our faith failed. And along with it, our faithfulness to Jesus and his body. What should I do if I sense disappointment with Christianity? 
as many of us have experienced. Let me remind you that even when religion fails you, even when Christians fail you, even when church leaders fail you, we can still remain faithful to Jesus. If Christians hurt you, if church hurts you, if church leaders hurt you and don't meet your expectations, I can still remain faithful to what God has called me to do. I can still look after orphans. I can still look after widows. I can still take care of the poor. I have yet to meet one person that stayed mad at Christ, at Christians or the church while they were still serving hurting people that Jesus came to serve. Listen, it's easy, it's very easy to leave a church in a faith that didn't cost you anything. What's the big deal about religion, Pastor Oscar? I mean, it isn't, isn't religion healthy For society, the problem with religion is that religion will have you worship a Jesus without a cross. That costs nothing. While Jesus and common kingdom begins where my religion ends. If I want to have authentic faith, I must let my religion die. Second thought is this. We must let Jesus reconstruct our faith. Rebuild it. Verse 32 says, but I pray for you, Jesus telling Simon, that your faith will not fail. And the word faith is, is the Greek pistis, which means conviction of the truth, conviction or belief, respecting a man's relationship to God, fidelity and faithfulness. So it not only means faith, it means faithfulness. So Jesus is telling him, I'm not... Just praying that your faith fails not. I'm not just praying that your religious beliefs about Jesus don't fail. I'm praying that your faithfulness doesn't fail. Why? Because Jesus knew that we will struggle with our faith. That it could very well fail us. But Jesus wasn't praying for Peter's doctrinal theological beliefs. He was targeting, he was going after his faithfulness. He was telling him, Peter, I want you to know that even when your religious beliefs and expectations aren't met, I'm praying that you remain faithful. Why? Because Peter was hoping for a conquering warrior and Jesus came as a suffering servant. Now, I have two friends that are helping me with, with this rope. And you may have seen this illustration. This is the rope that represents eternity. And obviously, this rope is not long enough to go all the way around the earth. But if, if you can imagine with me, if it goes around all the way around the earth, that's 25,000 miles in the e equator. I mean, at least that's what Google says. <laughs> I doubt that someone just kind of just went, you know... But nevertheless, 25,000 miles, that's, that's what we're told. And imagine if that would go around the earth once, 25,000 miles, and twice, 50,000 miles, and 10 times, 250,000 miles. What if we went around a thousand times? If you could make that eternal rope long, even if 
25,000 times, 100,000 times, that would only be the beginning of eternity. If you, if you would look at this red part, this is history. This is Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the end of time. There will be a day where time will be no more. That Jesus is coming back. And I don't know if you believe we're closer to Genesis. I believe we're right at the edge of Christ's return. But to kind of give us a perspective in eternity, you don't see that there's a tiny sliver right here, a tiny line that represents our life. This is smaller than the dash that you see in the cemetery tombs because that's all you get. You just get a dash. The year you were born, dash, and the year you get to go home. You don't get to see it, but here's, here's what happened as we speak about reconstructing our, our faith is that as I look into Christianity today and hear the, what's being preached on social media, what people repose more often, what people, the things that are more popular, it just seems to me that many of us think that in this tiny sliver of our timeline in eternity, that we believe wholeheartedly that the entire gospel or that most of the gospel has to do to affect that tiny little sliver of time. That we think that our, our wealth, our health, and our comfort are the main issue of God's heart. That when God sent Jesus, it was to affect this tiny little part so that we would feel good about being Christians, so that we would be healthy, so that we would be prosperous. And now, don't get me wrong. Do I believe Jesus heals? Absolutely. I've seen it in my life. Do I believe Jesus prospers? Absolutely. You should know where, I wish you could, I could tell you where I come from. Do I believe that Jesus has great purpose for you? Absolutely. But that is not the primary reason for the gospel. The primary reason for the gospel has not to do with this tiny little bit of history, but has to do with the entirety of eternity. The reason why we must have an, a, a paradigm shift is to understand that sometimes what we go through, even with our faith is failing, is not just so that sometimes God is not going to meet our expectations. The question is, will you remain faithful even when your expectations aren't met? Knowing that as you remain faithful, that you still have a, an eternal impact on somebody else's life. Do we live our Christianity thinking God is going to save me one of these days and come meet me the way I think he should? He's going to save me. God's going to send a political leader to save me. No, he's not. Because according to the end of the Bible, we don't get saved by a political Leader, we get saved by someone coming on the clouds, calling the church to meet him in the air. 
Stop waiting for that. Recognize that there's an eternity to play out. Thank you, gentlemen. You can put eternity down for a little bit. You see, as pressure increases on Christians, because it will, because it has, the only ones that remain are the ones who have an eternal perspective. The ones that are shaking and choose not to follow Jesus anymore will be because they ate too much Tex-Mex food and too much Tex-Mex theology. Many people are hurt by church because they either were fed a theology that had more to do with religion than God's kingdom. And religion always leaves a trail of dead bodies behind, of broken, hurt people. God, they were supposed to be an army, but now they lay dead in a pile of broken bones. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. If we allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow, I believe these dead bones shall rise and God's church will become the army that God has called it to become in these last days. But the problem, there's a term that's going around that it's called deconstructing faith. That many people around the age of 30 or below are saying, I've been church by hurt. I've been hurt by church. I've been hurt by Christians. I've been hurt by church leaders. Therefore, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm leaving it all behind. And the problem with deconstructing our faith, listen, is we are the ones who end up choosing what parts we want to deconstruct and what parts we want to keep. We end up building our faith in a foundation of hurt and cynicism. And a deconstruction that calls for the blood of anyone who's hurt us. And the pattern that I've seen over two decades of ministry. Because I started when I was four. <laughs> is that people end up blaming Christ, Christians, or the church. They take a break from their community of faith and eventually take a break from their faith altogether. When culture says to deconstruct your faith, I beg you, let Jesus reconstruct your faith with love and gentleness. The same way that he spoke to Peter, the same way with the same love that's saying, Peter, I know you're going to fail. I know your religion is going to fail. I know your faith is going to fail you, but I have prayed for you, Peter. Someone in the Bible that That allowed Jesus to reconstruct his faith. If anybody would know this, would be the Apostle Paul. Because you remember, he was a Pharisee. He was a devout Jewish Pharisee who knew the entire law, memorized. And he truly believed that what he did was for the glory of God. Even if killing Christians was a part of it. He would persecute and kill Christians. He truly believed as he was holding their robes. So the people that would stone Stephen to death in front of him. He believed... I am doing the righteous thing. I am doing the right thing in front of the eyes of Yahweh. His religion had fooled him for so much that he 
completely and sold out, lived alive, that caused the dead, the death of many believers. So Paul writes to the Corinthians out of experience to let them know, don't hold on to the previous religious system that has blinded you, but allow Jesus to bring light so that your eyes can be open. Second Corinthians 3, verse 12 It says, since we have such hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what's being brought to an end. But their minds were heartened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. He's talking about the previous covenant with the covenant that Jesus came to establish. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all get super excited about scripture. But the, what that scripture means is that Jesus is the only one that can set you free from religion. And when you are set free from religion, then you'll recognize it is only by God's spirit that true freedom can be brought. You know, one of the greatest things that would affect a believer's worship is not their personality. It's religion. It's religion that makes you think, I, I don't have to respond in any way to the gospel. I can just, I can, I, I can just let somebody, else, let somebody else do it. Religion can kill your relationship with God. Second Corinthians chapter four, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, talking about the gospel, about the goodness of God. And remember, we are the jars of clay. We're breakable, we're imperfect, yet we get to hold this treasure. How can that be? The jar doesn't say, look at me, I'm valuable. No, the jar says, I'm barely keeping it together, and yet God's, God has entrusted me with this precious treasure. Yeah. And it says, to show that the surpassing power of God be belongs to God, not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then he says later on in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. I can handle my suffering even if Jesus doesn't come to save me the same way that I expected him to save me because I know that I get to hold this treasure called the gospel. And if my life and if my brokenness can lead someone's eternity to Jesus, then so be it. Don't let your faithfulness To God, stop because your expectations weren't met in your lifetime. Because God is looking throughout eternity and he'll give purpose to your pain more than you ever thought possible. 
Luke 16, 16, and we'll get ready to close. Um, it says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John came. This is Jesus speaking. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John came. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom has been preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. So Jesus is saying, before John the Baptist came, the way you learned about God's kingdom was through the law and the prophets. The written law. The 613 commandments after the Ten Commandments. And the books of the prophets that were pointing to one king. Jesus was saying, the law and the prophets were pointing to someone they never met and a kingdom that they did not know. But John the Baptist started to preach a new kingdom and pointed to Jesus as the one who the law and the prophets were pointing to and told people to follow Jesus. So before then, for those thousands of years, until John the Baptist, they relied on the law and of the prophets. And there's a very important story, probably one of the most important meanings of the Bible that kind of captures what Jesus is telling Peter to let go. And it happens at the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9. It says, about eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter, James, and John and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him and they were Moses and Elijah who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him Moses and Elijah, as these two men were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let's make a tabernacle, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. But while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So what does this mean? Well, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Remember that Jesus had said, up until then, this is where you got your kingdom. But John started pointing to the new way that the kingdom comes. The actual way. And it's Jesus. And Peter says, this is good. Let's stay here. Let's put a tabernacle to, the, to religion. Let's put a tabernacle to prophecy. And let's just to the, to the prophecies. And let's just stay here. Clueless of what he was saying. Because no one pays attention to what he says. No one responds. No one answers. Except God. When Peter says, let's stay here. Let's stay, let's remain with these traditions. Let's remain to the, to the old way that we could connect with God. Let's, let's, just, let's just keep focusing on the prophecies. God says, I have chosen my son. I did not choose the law to save you. I did not choose the prophecies to save you, but I chose them to point to one man that would come to save you, not from the Roman government, but from your sin. Listen to him. My son is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And what I love about this is that even if, if his voice, as the voice of God is stopped, Jesus was found alone. Why? Because he is the only one that can give you worth. He's the only one where you can find your identity. He's the only one that can strengthen your faith. Let him rebuild your faith. Let him reconstruct your faith. In a time where a culture screams, deconstruct it. Destroy your faith. No, let Jesus heal your faith. The last quick thought is simply this. To find authentic faith, we must let our faith strengthen others. And I believe that's going to take place this, this day. Because there's some of you that are struggling with your faith. And you're embarrassed about it. And you're almost thinking you can hide it from God. When it's Jesus, the one praying for you. When he's seen that you've been hurt. Multiple times. When he's seen that people have let you, have let us down. I love the, the story after the resurrection. The first time that, so, so Peter denies Jesus three times. We remember that story. Then Jesus is crucified. Then he resurrects. And the first time that Jesus and Peter meet happens in John 21. And tells the story that what does Peter do after Jesus is crucified? He goes back to fishing. He went back to what he knew. He went back to the religion that he wanted. The, the plan that he had. But on that day they caught nothing. And there's all of a sudden a man from the shore saying, Hey guys, did you catch anything? Like he didn't know. They said, No. In other words, how is going back working out for you? Then one of them recognizes and he says, I think, I, I, I think that's Jesus. So instead of waiting for the boat... To get to the shore, Peter jumps into the water. And I wonder if it's because he just feels so, so guilty that he had let his master down. That he had betrayed his best friend. And you and I can relate to that guilt. Because we feel how sometimes we've messed it up in our faith. We've screwed things up in our marriage, in our parenting. We're trying to do the right thing. But it feels like we're still after what our flesh and our will desires. And it's so hard for us to kill it. But Peter jumps into the water and swims to Jesus. And somehow Jesus has already breakfast prepared for him. Again, to say, I'm going to take care of you. Even when your expectations aren't met, I'm going to feed you. And the first thing that Jesus asks Peter is simply this. He says, Simon, doesn't even call him Peter still. He says, Simon, do you love me? He asked him three times, maybe to cover up for the three times that Peter had denied him. And I believe that what's happening here 
is Jesus simply saying, I know you are not there yet, but I've still called you. Feed my sheep. I know you messed up. I know you failed you. But you are still called. Do what I've called you to do. Strengthen your brothers. Would you, would you stand, Edmund? Okay, see, so would you stand? Marcy and Kevin are going to lead us in, in a worship song. Because I, I believe that sometimes that, that God calls us to respond. That certain Sundays are not just Sundays where you hear and you walk away. Even though you very well, you could do that. Because you came for Tex-Mex and you were presented for Mexican. And you're like, oh, I'm not ready for Mexican food just yet. You know, I had Mexican last night and I just, I'm not ready for that. And that's okay, I get it. But there's some of you who want the authentic stuff. There's some of you that are struggling with your faith. Maybe you showed up here giving Jesus one last chance. Only to hear God look at you and say, I was praying for you. I'm glad you came. Maybe you're in the middle of something in your life. That's hurting. That's chaotic. And you're saying, I just need strength to remain faithful. I don't want to let go. I don't want my children. I just want to be faithful in front of my kids, in front of my spouse. I just want to be faithful to Jesus. I just want to be faithful to Jesus. I want my worship to count. I want my worship to count. If that's you, as, in fact, if, if that's you, would you raise your hand? If, if, if you're saying, um, hands are already going up. You're saying, I'm struggling today. There's, there's chaos. There's, or maybe you're saying you're, you're real enough to say, man, I'm struggling with my faith. Or someone very close to me struggling with their faith. Look around you just for a moment. Because there's a lot of people that are lifting their hands. Here's what I want us to do. If you... As we go into a song, would you come forward so that we can pray for you? There's going to be a lot of brothers around you that you didn't know are here to strengthen you. And if God's called you to be one of those, as people come forward, as our prayer team comes forward, I want you to come and put your hand on somebody's shoulder and pray for them. Maybe you need to lift somebody's arms today to strengthen them. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with us. Thank you, Lord, that, that we can respond to your call. Thank you that there is no shame or guilt today, but only your grace. We worship you. We honor you. Thank you for what you're going to do. Let's worship. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.